We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Welcome in to another slash the first episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Doing a little bit of rebranding here, but if you're tuned in, you probably know uh, you know the vibe now. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. We got a big episode uh, to get into today. I feel like all the episodes are big, but this one really is big with Oregon coming away with a big 34-31 win over UCLA on the road in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. And it's not just me. I'm joined by Ducks Digest reporter Nick Batty, who was uh, at the game with me, made the trip down to the Los Angeles area to take this one in. Nick, man, how are we doing? Doing great. It was a great, great uh, atmosphere out there in Los Angeles. Uh, they really packed the Rose Bowl well. So, um yeah, ready to dive in. Definitely, man. But before we do that, had you been to the Rose Bowl for Rose Bowl before, like as a venue or to see just to see a game there or anything? Yeah, I had been to uh, a couple of the uh, Rose Bowls that Oregon had been to before, so uh, I think it was my fourth time there. But I mean, <laughs> there's nothing like it. So uh, I can't can't recommend enough if if you can get out there for a game, especially a Rose Bowl game. Uh, it's incredible scene out there. It's it's definitely super super fun. I, I went to the Oregon and Florida State Rose Bowl. Um, you know, we all know how crazy of a game that was, just seeing the Ducks dominate. And then I went the next year when Stanford and Iowa played, so it was a little different. Um, you know, not seeing Oregon there, but it's it's definitely a great atmosphere, like you said. And then getting to cover it as media, you know, just they treat you really well over there, which is great. Um, you know, lots of good lots of good food, and just the facilities were great. So. No complaints on on our end, but yeah, Nick, we got you know tons of stuff to get into with this one. Could go a lot of different ways. Uh, where do you think you want to start this one off? Anything popping off to you? Yeah, well, I think we have to start with uh, Cape on Thibodeau, who you know is probably the best player in college football right now, uh, at least with with how he's playing. I mean, he's just an absolute monster out there with with everything he does. Um, you know, he knocked DTR to the ground countless number of times and uh, just totally changed the game, especially on that last possession um, with with DTR going out and, and Garbers coming in. Uh, you could tell that KT was in, in the back of uh, his mind and maybe had to get the ball out quicker than he, he would have wanted to. We found ourselves asking heading into this one, and you know, even before this, probably, what does a full game of Kayvon Thibodeau look like? Because that was one of the weirdest parts about going into this game is here we are a little bit past the midway mark now, and we've only seen Kayvon play in two games in, against Fresno State, and then I guess a little bit in Arizona, but maybe we don't really have to count that because he was on the pitch count. Uh, but saw him in that second half against Cal. But, man, what, what, a, what a game for him. Uh, eight solo tackles nine total tackles, two sacks, and four and a half tackles for loss. So, uh, you know, getting it done and defending the run as well, which I think was another big part uh, of why Oregon was able to, to come away with a win here. But the the presence of the pass rush for the Ducks was really, really something uh, on Saturday. This is probably the best pass rush that we've seen the entire year. I think it goes without saying. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that we saw that, especially with how healthy the defense was. In, in this game and you know Noah Sewell was was uh you know 
he was having another great game. Brandon Dorless played a great game. A lot of different players, you know, stepped up when when the team really needed them. But I think that the presence of the pass rush obviously starts with Kayvon. And man, they they were just dominating. I think that, you know, DTR did have some good runs outside the pocket when plays broke down, but they they put a hit on him every chance they got. And ultimately, you know, it, it, it really paid off because like you mentioned, Garbage comes in on that last drive and he had some good throws to his credit, but he just totally stared down DJ James at the end there. Um, they're stared down his primary option. And then Jane, we all know how that one ended up. Yeah. Um, I mean, all credit to DTR. He played a heck of a game. Uh, I mean, especially at the end there, you could tell uh, he was not a hundred percent and he was still dropping dimes out there to keep that drive going. So uh, all the respect to him. I mean, uh, he's a heck of a football player and it showed in that game. Uh, but yeah, like you said, Oregon's pass rush was by far the best it's been all year long uh, against UCLA. And there's no um, coincidence that Braden Swenson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Popo, uh, Dorless, you know, they were all there. So it makes a lot of sense as to uh, why it was their best game. They haven't all been there, I, I don't think, before this year. So uh, it, it just shows you how good of a defense Oregon can have when everyone's healthy obviously uh not everyone is healthy you know they they funa went out uh they still uh, have a couple linebackers out but for the most part this is what what it's going to look like for the rest of the year and uh i'm really excited to see you know how they can further develop because uh at times in that game it was something special to watch i mean in that third quarter i believe they only allowed seven total yards something like that uh, in that mm-hmm. whole third quarter, I mean, it was just a, a dominant showing at, at times uh, against a really good and really physical uh, offense that UCLA has. Yeah, that you talk about that third quarter, Nick. I think that was definitely one of the most impressive, uh, you know, parts of the game um, for for the Oregon defense, just because they were able to really take the air out of the ball. It felt like, um, you know, with how efficiently they were scoring, and then when UCLA did get the ball they just weren't able to do very much with it. Um, I'm trying to pull up the some stats here real quick that I can reference. So give me just a second here while I pull this up. Um, but uh, where do we have it here? Yeah, UCLA was over three on third downs in the third quarter. Um, and they were, and DTR was one for four uh, passing. So they just, they could hardly do anything when they did get the ball. Um, and, the, the Oregon offense just really, really came together in that third quarter. Um, let's see here. They had um, 95 passing yards and put up 111 yards on, on 14 plays. But um, I think the, the point that I wanted to get to, because we were just talking about some of the defense, so I don't want to jump around too much on this. Um, man, the, the play of the front seven, obviously the pass rush was great. But a lot of people had their eyes on this dynamic duo with Zach Charbonnet and Britton Brown heading into this game, uh, seeing how talented they are, um, you know, not just in the Pac-12, but in the country. But Oregon was able to outrush UCLA, and they did it on 21 fewer carries, which is just crazy to me. UCLA had 45 rushes for 110 yards, and Brown and Robinson – barely combined for 80 yards between the two of them. You know, to their credit, they had three touchdowns on the ground, but, uh, or no, sorry, that was Brown and uh, Thompson Robinson. So Charbonnet and Brown, um, Britton Brown had 45 yards and two touchdowns. And then Zach Charbonnet had 35 yards. So the, the defensive line showed up in a big way. Popo Omavai was one of our players to watch um, that we had listed on Ducks Digest in our story. Um, you know, some of our preview content. So, you know, you got to give a shout out to those interior defensive linemen um, because, you know, UCLA's offensive line was was big and physical. And, you know, I think even though they had lost, they're still probably one of the better units in, in the conference. Yeah, and I think uh, that it was best reflected in what Mario Cristobal said after the game. Uh, he was uh, notified uh, from one of the reporters that, uh, I, for, I forget who it was, but uh, that they limited Charmonet and Brown to uh, so few yards. And he was very surprised. He was like, wow, you know, that's elite. It, it was kind of fun to uh, see his reaction in real time there. But 
I mean, we're look, we're talking about a UCLA run game that averages over 220 yards a game coming in, and they barely got over 100 uh, on Saturday. I mean, just an all-time performance from the Oregon front seven to uh, keep them at bay and, and not let them get the edge. As we know with Chip Kelly's offenses, they love to show different looks, get off, get out on the edge a lot, and go. And Oregon, for the most part, really didn't let them do that. And you know, kudos to Tim DeRuiter. He had a great game plan, and it really showed with uh, with with the stats at the end. Going to be a, a note for Oregon to hopefully build off of. You know, moving on as they get into the second half of the season here. Um, going to be facing a really, really good rushing attack in uh, Oregon State. Um, you know, as uh, let's see, we look ahead to that rivalry matchup. That's looking at the end of November. So they got some really good backs as well. Um, and then you're preparing for Colorado this week um, with Jarek Broussard. So I know he's a guy to, to watch out there. But with, with the defense, I mean, some other big performances. You know, Noah Sewell had a, a, a great um, pass breakup that, that came on a big third down, uh, you know, just timed it just right. And then just elevated like crazy to, to SWAT DTR's pass, uh, out of the air. So, um, it was weird because I think, you know, you were talking we were talking about the third quarter and how well they played there for a lot of the season. I think a big, you know, criticism of this Tim Druder defense has been that they haven't had the best, uh, you know, they haven't had, very much success on third down. And, you know, there's a lot of long drives that get drawn out when they're not able to get off the field. But um, I think with, with how dominant they were in the third quarter, uh, I, I think that UCLA was was over three on uh, third downs, if I remember correctly, in, in that um, in that quarter. So it just, I feel like, like you were saying, man, I mean, I, it's really feels like it's coming together and we're seeing how good this Oregon defense can be how good the offense can be as well. The whole team that that was one of the biggest things for me is we don't know what kind of team is going to show up week to week, but I feel like if this Oregon team shows up like this each week, I think I find a hard time saying that any other team in this conference is going to beat them. Yeah. Hard to argue with that, that sentiment there. And uh, you, going back real quick to, to that Noah Sewell play. I mean, that was just, a play that I feel like only Noah Sewell and a couple other linebackers could make there. That was just crazy athleticism. He was spying DTR and he just read him and, and jumped up and, and blocked that. That was crazy. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they did, especially down the stretch in the fourth quarter, I, I believe uh, there's a couple third and fourth downs that they either allowed UCLA to get or, uh, allowed via penalty, which is still a continuing issue uh, for, for this team. There's just a lot of penalties that are probably uh, not necessary that they uh, end up having to take. So still that uh, I think it was nine penalties for 50 something yards. So uh, that's definitely still a concern of sorts, but uh, yeah, in that third quarter, it was, you know, it was the very best of what Oregon's defense had to offer. And hopefully they can bottle that up and uh, play a full 60 minutes that way. And I feel like this coming week against Colorado is probably their best opportunity to do that because Colorado's offense is dreadful. Uh, they scored three points last week against Cal. And, you know, if there's ever a week to uh, show everything you can do on defense, it would be this week. So hopefully we see more of the same uh, against Colorado. Yeah, we'll be talking a little bit more uh, later in the show about about Colorado. Man, I definitely want to hit on that a little bit. Um, but but with this defense, you know, since we're still I feel like we're, you know, we're, we're focusing on them. I, the, the play in the secondary was great. I feel like for for a lot of this game, you know, you have your fair share of big plays to talk about DJ James's two interceptions was great. I know that was something I had my on going into this one because of the Oregon defense hadn't forced a turnover in two games. Um, you know, and you kind of ask yourself how much of that is attributed to Bennett Williams not being there, you know, his absence, can this defense still, you know, not to say that the defense isn't talented enough to do it, but that's one of their best playmakers and he's not there anymore. Uh, so, you know, kind of a, a coming out party for DJ James, right? I tweeted, uh, tweeted after the game, you know, you see a performance like that and it kind of shows you why Alabama, his home state school, he's a guy from Alabama, wanted him until the very end. 
but Michael Wright had a couple big pass breakups in the end zone that that I think, you know, for him, that's got to be great to see, you know, after him and James, just after, you know, the way that Stanford game ended where they were just playing jump ball on them and, you know, things didn't end their way, whether it be penalties or, uh, you know, their their receivers coming down with the ball. I think that was really big for them. Verone McKinley had that huge pass breakup uh, over the middle, turned that turning back around at the last second. I mean, you see, you see that, you know, he, he's called the general for a reason. And I feel like his, his play definitely just keeps elevating. He had, he had some missed tackles in this one um, that I'm sure he'd like to have back, but I think the secondary as a whole for them to go against UCLA and turn in this kind of a performance going up against guys like Greg Dulcich and, and Kyle Phillips, I think is a really, really solid wide out in the pac 12. Uh, I think it's, it's going to be something they can grow from and uh, it's definitely an encouraging sign. Yeah, I think Kyle Phillips is is one of you could even argue maybe the best wide receiver in the Pac-12. I know USC has some real really elite wide receivers. Drake London's but, crazy. Yeah, yeah, uh, but I mean he's certainly up there. He, he's really good, and you know he he had a couple uh, big plays, but for the most part, yeah, Oregon secondary played well. Uh, you know, I feel like the nature of of the secondary, uh, it's never going to be perfect. You're always going to give up some plays but I feel like that was just again Tim DeRuiter's game plan and they executed it really well uh you know like you said um you know Mikel Wright had some big press breakups uh obviously interceptions uh I mean Baron McKinley's pass breakup at the first half there that was like a wow play I think there were a lot of uh, people in the press box were just amazed that he he was able to uh, adjust and and tip that ball away uh, before it could be caught in the end zone. So, I mean, that's a four-point play right there. Um, yeah, they end up kicking a field goal at the end. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, just, just big plays from the from the secondary that, you know, it was enough to win at the end. Any Anything else that you think is worth, you know, hitting on here with, with the Oregon defense and kind of the – the performance that we ultimately saw out of them, you know, Saturday at the Rose Bowl? Um, I think that that would pretty much hit it. Uh, I think we pretty much hit all our points we wanted to uh, to go after. We could probably uh, move towards the offense now and probably start with, um, with Anthony Brown's performance on Saturday. You know, he uh, didn't get off to maybe the best to start in the first quarter, but the stretch he had when when the Ducks outscored UCLA 34 to three there in the second third quarters was uh, by far the best we've seen Anthony Brown play not even a question uh, this season I mean it was it was uh, what Oregon fans I think it all wanted to see from the quarterback position and they got it there for for half the game with uh, Brown completing uh, at one point in that stretch, uh, 75% of his passes. I think he has 10 or 11 consecutive passes completed. Uh, it was a great showing from him and, uh, and really was what, you know, gave Oregon the opportunity to get out to a 17 point lead there. Obviously uh, we'll get to what happened in the fourth quarter, but for now, I think we can talk about the positives we saw from Brown and there were a lot. Uh, it was, you know, I didn't know if we could see that from Brown, even for 30 minutes of the game, and we did. It was uh, really nice to see. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, we will definitely talk about kind of what happened as as this game wound down. But statistically, you know, it, it was his, his best day, right? Uh, 29 for 39 for 296 yards, uh, got sacked once, and the, the two interceptions – uh, or something, you know, plays that, that he'd like to have back, I'm sure. But I, I thought, yeah, he was in a, a pretty good flow for much of the game. This is the perfect time for him to to elevate his play, right? You know, the, the biggest game that they had uh, since that Ohio State game. So um, he also did pretty well in, in the run game. Uh, six carries for 85 yards and a touchdown. He had that really, really big touchdown run uh, late in the game. I believe it was the one that put it away, if I'm remembering it correctly. Um, and, you know, you got to give a shout-out to the offensive line on that one. Um, I think it was – shoot. I think it was Dawson Jeremillo that might have had – that was a pulling guard that sealed the first one off. And I know DJ Johnson, like, had the block that – the final block that really, um, you know, cut him loose. So credit to, to Anthony Brown for, for getting, you know, that play when, when they really needed it. Um, that was huge, and I think he – he looked 
relatively composed, you know, from, from what we saw when he was, you know, at his brightest moments. And I really liked how he distributed the ball, you know, a lot of different guys making catches here, but Devin Williams and Micah Pittman each recorded five catches. Um, Devin Williams for 80 yards, Micah for 46. So maybe we could talk about some more of the receiver play a little later here, but um, you know, with, with Brown, I think the thing that's a little bit of a head scratcher for me, I see this performance and I think a little bit back, even though it was a much smaller sample size to that Fiesta Bowl, where I thought he was playing really well, you know, throwing with confidence and then pushing the ball and moving it quickly, had the offense humming until he fumbled it. And it's a little bit of a similar story here. The offense is playing some of its best football, even though the, the run game wasn't the best statistically. I mean, incredibly effective, but yards wise, I'm sure they'd like to be at a, a little bit of a higher clip. We see Brown doing well, but man, those two interceptions really gave UCLA a second second win, gave them life, and ultimately let them back in the game. Yeah, and uh, the first interception was clearly just a poor throw from Brown, and I think he uh, acknowledged as such in, in the post game. Uh, and then as for that second one, uh, kind of sounded like it was more of a miscommunication. Uh, between quarterback wide receiver there. And it was interesting, actually, earlier today, this is Monday, uh, Mark Cristobal in his media availability mentioned that uh, he feels like uh, he and Joe Moorhead probably uh, would like that play called back. They wanted to be aggressive. They wanted to go for the kill shot, as he said, uh, to put it up 10 and out of reach for the Bruins, which makes sense. Uh, I love to see the aggressiveness, but uh, that was probably the play call for that moment uh, with three minutes left. And in control of the game so uh it's interesting to see them take accountability for that the coaches that is but brown when when it matters most he needs to be better which is interesting to say because prior to this game uh he was the best in the biggest moments in the fourth quarter he he was even considered mr fourth quarter by some people i saw so um definitely interesting to see the um, sides flip a little bit where he was great for most of the game and then in the fourth quarter he made two costly mistakes that almost cost Oregon the game. Uh, so, I mean, it, this is just who Anthony Brown is. You know, we have, we've seen, you know, now seven games from him. And it's just, you know, you're not going to get anything better, I don't think, from him. Uh, we've seen, you know, what he can do. At times, he's a solid quarterback. At times, he can make some bad mistakes. And um, from all accounts, you know, this is just the best quarterback Oregon has right now. And uh, this, you know, for the rest of the year, unless something crazy happens with an injury or uh, the season goes off the rails, he's going to be the guy. And for Oregon to get to where they want to go, Pac-12, Rose Bowl, playoff, um, he's going to need to play more like he did in the second and third quarters of this game than down the stretch. You talk about how the coaches uh, kind of you know, took some accountability for that play call. I, I definitely understand the the want to be the want to be aggressive. How a field goal only puts you up six, and then you give UCLA the ball back, and with how quickly their offense operates, I mean, it's not a stretch to see that they could have you know marched it down the field. I don't know how likely it would have been because you know at that point, you know, you kind of saw the fourth quarter program kick in, as the players would probably say. Um, you know, with the pass rush just constantly harassing DTR. But, you know, to, to go back to the second interception, um, I believe that was the one to William that he was trying to find Devin Williams, right? Yeah. Um, you know, play call or not, you put the ball in the quarterback's hands and it's, it's his decision that you're going to live and die with. Um, and I feel like to see a decision like that made from a guy that's this experienced, you know, you want to go for the touchdown, but if it's not looking a little bit more likely in my opinion you got to just know to throw the ball away in that situation so obviously there's reasons i'm not playing quarterback for the ducks right nick i'm i'm just a journalist but yeah, I, I think it's here. i think it's just a head scratching decision to me you know for a guy that's that experienced you wouldn't think that you'd be seeing critical errors out of him like that um but yeah it's it's uh i think it's you make you you summed it up pretty well you know we're, we're we are uh you know the ducks are Six and one now, or no, seven and one, right? Seven six and one? one. Yep, six and one. Six, six and six and one, um, and we're you know ha- about the halfway mark here, so we know what we ha- what the Ducks have in, in Anthony Brown. Um, I don't think that there's reason to think that he's gonna you know play flawless football. You know, I'm sure he would want to, 
but you know, those, those errors are going to pop up every now and then. And um, I will say though, I think that the, the way the running game has looked since CJ Verdell's injury, I think um, I'm really glad and, you know, happy with how balanced the offense has been. Um, You know, maybe I think when Verdell first got her, I thought it was going to be just really, really, really run heavy. Um, And, you know, teams were going to be able to take advantage of that. But um, the, I think the play calling overall has been pretty good. And we saw a lot of different guys get involved in the passing game. Um, You know, maybe to, to transition to what we talked about earlier, Devin Williams just keeps emerging, man. That, that guy just looks different. You know, he's, he's playing really well at a high level and he's putting it together in practice is what they're saying. So they just need him to, to keep operating at a high clip because it's resulting in some really good production on the field. Uh, he's a mismatch for any, any DB in, in this conference. Right. But Micah Pittman too. I mean, he's just another one of those guys. Once you get him the ball, get him a little bit of space. He just, he turns up and he's really, really fun to watch. And I feel like since Brown had this game, you know, critical error, sure. But if he doesn't have this type of game that he had, I feel like we don't see the wide receivers play to this clip. That sounds pretty obvious, but I hope you can kind of see what I'm getting at there. You know, if he's not at least doing what he's doing, getting the ball to the playmakers, which is what I said Oregon's quarterback would have to do in that piece I wrote before the year, before we knew who the quarterback was, don't try to complicate things too much. Take some risks here and there, but get the ball to the really, really talented guys they have it wide out and look what it did for them. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, uh, I mean, Devin Williams with maybe the best game for an Oregon wide receiver so far this year, five catches, 80 yards, but it was way more than just him. Uh, they, you know, 11 receivers caught a pass. Uh, as you touched on, Micah Pittman, Johnny Johnson had a great beginning to this game to kind of get the offense going a little bit. Um, Die, he, you know, didn't get many yards uh, carrying the ball, but through the air, you know, they, they dumped it down to him four times for 36 yards, including a couple uh, good screen plays where he, he could really get out in open space. And, you know, you had a couple of freshmen get involved, Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson. Uh, Chris Hudson now two straight weeks with a fumble. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on, a little bit concerning trend. Uh, but both are still really talented, and you saw that uh, in, in the game. And... Uh, even even the tight end, you know, Terrence Ferguson had a huge first down there in the fourth, fourth quarter. So Oregon's receiving depth is incredible. It's the best I've seen in, in my time of watching Oregon football. And uh, it, it leads with with Devin Williams, Micah Pittman, Johnny Johnson, who, who we saw a lot of uh, in, in this game. You said that. Devin Williams' game might have been one of the best, if not the best, from an Oregon wideout this year. Five catches for 80 yards, no no touchdowns. Does that sound crazy to you? Yeah, it does. Uh, I think that's a product of 
both the game plan and who's that quarterback. You know, it's it's again, it's just it is what it is with with Oregon's personnel right now, especially with the talent wide receiver. That definitely is a crazy feeling. Uh, that you know that would be the best game so far, but um, I just think it's a it's part of Anthony Brown and maybe not being able to uh, throw the ball as well downfield, and also uh, a testament to really the running game and how good the running game has been for the Ducks this year. Uh, of course, with C.J. Burdell uh, for most of the year and, and now Travis Dye. I mean, we, uh, we, we'll get to Travis Dye soon, but uh, that guy has come out and has really established himself as Oregon's best offensive player, in my opinion, um, with, with what he's been doing. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a combination of both, and hopefully it won't be the best game by an Oregon wide receiver this year. But – Honestly, I think it might be just because I feel like Oregon's game plan coming into this game, uh, Joe Moorhead's game plan was, you know, really throw the football a lot because UCLA's run defense is elite. And we saw that, you know, Travis Dye didn't have much success, uh, you know, outside the red zone. And so, you know, Brown had to throw the ball a lot more and he kudos to him for the most part, you know, did it pretty well, did it the best. He's, he's, uh, did the best he's done this year, but um, yeah. Yeah. We, I, I think I might've lost you for just a second there, Nick. Um, I don't know if you lost me, but I feel like on the rainy days here in Eugene, my Wi-Fi kind of goes in and out. So um, apologies for the technical difficulties there, but I know we're still talking about, uh, about Brown's performance and how that kind of, uh, you know, allowed the wide receivers to, to get a little bit more involved here. Um, but hopefully you can hear me. Okay, Nick. Um, yeah. just while we're still talking about the wideouts, you, you mentioned a good point that I kind of wanted to, to circle back around, you know, you talk about, you know, with Williams, stat line, maybe being one of the strongest we'll see from an Oregon wideout this year. Part of that has to do with Brown and, and maybe just what he gives you as a quarterback. But at the same time, I think it's important to look at, I mean, Oregon, Mario Cristobal, they've been a, a run oriented team. Right. And I think that the the staff, the program is, is blocking out a lot of the expectations that fans have, right? You know, you get these big, these big name wideouts and naturally the fans are just going to say, okay, well, we just want to air it out all the time and have crazy plays and playmakers. And then we've seen that just in spurts, but if you're able to run the ball really effectively and it's getting you wins at the end of the day, I mean, why, why not? Why not do that? I mean, that's kind of, I think maybe what some of the, I, I feel like that's maybe some of the perspective that we would get from the staff. You know, if it's it's not broken, no need to change things. Yeah, exactly. And I think we can maybe get started and talking about Travis Dye now in the run game. Uh, I mean, Dye didn't have his best game numbers wise, but, you know, four touchdowns on four straight carries. That's just insane. Uh, and, you know, Mark Criswell said after the game that he was questionable to even play in this game. He had a migraine. So, for him to gut it out when the Ducks really needed him and uh, play as, as well as he did, you know, he had, like I said before, some uh, great uh, games out of the passing game. He's, in my opinion, turned into Oregon's best offensive player uh, with, with everything he's been able to do. And uh, especially with CJ Verdell out and only freshman behind him, I feel like the offense really revolves around him and he has stepped up to the challenge. Uh, I've been in incredibly impressed in what he's been able to do against Cal and now against UCLA to just, you know, keep Oregon's offense uh, moving with whatever he needs to be doing out there. And I even saw, I forget where, when it was in the game, but uh, he had a couple great uh, blocks on pass protection, which is something that he had issues with, uh, in prior years at Oregon. So to see him really develop in that area as well was really great to see, uh, especially with how, how often he's out there on the field. Die really turned in one of those, uh, you know, Cyrus Bibilikio-esque, uh, you know, stat days. You talk about how he didn't have the most yards, but man, four touchdowns on four consecutive carries. I believe that was an NCAA record. So that was pretty, pretty insane. I also think just when you're looking at this game and isolating it, you got to give a big shout out to the offensive line. Alex Forsyth unable to go for the third straight week now. Um, you know, again, we were hearing that things were looking good. He went through warm up. I mean, he went through warm ups and everything was looking fine. But 
I think I kind of, we were sitting next to, next to each other in the press box and I was, you know, kind of nudged in like, Hey, Alex Forsyth just went to the locker room, you know, something to keep an eye on there. And then uh, ultimately wasn't able to go. Ryan walks slid over again and had a lot of really great blocks. My God, that guy is just so versatile. And then, you know, there, there was a little bit more of a shakeup, uh, you know, in the first half when Jackson powers Johnson went down with a sprained ankle. So, you know, that they never want to see that with, with the freshman playing at such a high level, but you see again the all the rotation and the cross training and the positional versatility come into play. Dawson Jeremillo comes in. He was a guy that was heavily in the rotation in, in this one, and he had some really great blocks. Uh, Stephen Jones came in and played really well. He got shaken up a little bit, but we we got you know we were told that that he's good to go this week as well. So the the offensive line continues to ho- operate at a really high level. Uh, I believe last week heading into this game, Nick, you might be able to fact check me here, but I think they were listed on the Joe Moore, the Joe Moore, uh, you know, honor midseason honor roll. I believe that's the award for the best offensive line in the country given out every year. Um, but I'm pretty sure I saw that, you know, they called it the honor roll. You know, there's all these watch lists that come out preseason, but they've been doing really well. So credit to Alex Mirabal for, for him having those guys ready. But um, the, the run game, it, what, it, I don't know. I, I can't say that it was bad because they had four rushing touchdowns, but it was weird because I feel like they just found themselves turning to the air more this game because that's what was working. It wasn't because, oh, we can't move the ball very well. It was they were just having a good day through the air. So kind of like we were talking about, you know, just a couple minutes ago, if you're, if you're able to move the ball through the air, then do that. But when you get in those situations in the red zone, you know, I think that they definitely feel confident putting die behind those big offensive linemen. And just to, I feel like I've been talking really long on this, on this point, but Travis die, I think since he took over as the main back, he's done a really good job running on those inside runs and just some of those more power runs. He had that big sweep uh, out to the left, I believe it was. And he, and he, um, you know, extended for the pylon. Um, I was watching the highlights again today. I don't, I think that they had to review it, but I don't exactly remember if that one was ruled a touchdown, but he's just super gritty. Yeah. I don't think it, it wasn't ruled a touchdown on that one. So, um, you know, just to, to verify that, but yeah, he, he's just been having a, a heck of a season and he's shouldering the load as the number one running back, just as well as just about as well as you could have hoped for. Yeah. And I, I just think it was going back to what you said about, uh, you know, not running very often this game I think that really was just a game plan going in uh you know they tried a little bit in the first quarter to not much success about running and uh like you said you know UCLA's passing uh defense is not very good uh but the run defense is elite you know they only allow 90 rush yards a game and that showed uh you know itself in this game with you know really old Oregon's only big run was that Anthony Brown keeper in the fourth, early fourth quarter to give them that 17 point lead. But other than that, uh, Oregon just did not get much uh, going in, in the run game with the exception of, of course, the uh, four touchdowns at the goal line. So uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be concerned at all about uh, Oregon's uh, poor running attack against UCLA. I, I just think it was, um, you know, the game plan going in and, and going with what was working, like you said. So uh, I feel like against Colorado, we'll really see them get back a lot more to uh, what they're used to doing of, of running a lot more with uh, with Die And uh, some of these freshman backs, I feel like, are also going to get a lot more uh, opportunities against Colorado here. So I'm really interested to see, uh, you know, Byron Cardwell, uh, Seven McGee had some huge plays in this UCLA game, uh, by the way. That was cool to see. And uh, even Trey Benson, we I don't believe we saw him out there against UCLA. Uh, I, the coaching staff says he's good to go. So hopefully we can see him uh, out there as well. Um, but yeah, that'll be really interesting to see in, in that, this Colorado game coming up. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that one shakes out as far as the running back rotation goes, because that was one of the questions that I had before this game. Are we going to get any more clarity on that? And Maybe part of the reason we're not getting more clarity on that is because Anthony Brown's running the ball effectively. So any, you know, maybe those carries are there for the running backs, but you know, Brown's, you know, Brown just happens to be getting them. Um, and do you know they like to obviously do the the RPO game? So maybe you know Brown's keeping some of those, so that's helping them be more effective. Um, 
let's see, where else do we want to go here on the offense? I, I feel like we've touched on a lot of good stuff here. Um, we broke down Brown's performance and, and talked about the receivers. Troy Franklin had some really great plays. I think uh, the last note that maybe comes to mind for me, Nick, when I'm talking about the offense here, Troy Franklin looked great. Chris Hudson looked good aside from the fumble. You definitely got to get Troy Franklin more involved. I feel like, you know, Troy Franklin, Mike Pittman, and Devin Williams, those guys are all really, really effective. You just got to get them the ball. Um, so it was good to see that. But, man, the the screen game, I think that was super, super effective for Oregon. And that was just kind of interesting for me to see because the last time I feel like I saw that many screens, it was when Marcus Arroyo was calling them. And he was just like, I'm calling a screen and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Um, but, man, yeah, like for, for them to call for Moorhead to dial up all those screens when he did, obviously UCLA is a team that likes to blitz a lot. So you think about that and it makes a lot of sense. But, man, it just it just opened up this offense even more. And I, I feel like um, it, it was a really encouraging sign to see, especially with the guys that ended up being involved on those plays. Yeah, some of those screens I feel like were uh, one block away from being a huge touchdown play. So, I mean, they definitely worked really well and, and kept the ball moving on offense. Um, yeah, but before we go here, um, I just think maybe we talk a little bit about the bigger picture of where Oregon's at. You know, they're 6-1. and one. They're tied for first in the Pac-12 North with the Beavers. Do you think this team can can actually run the table and, and make the college football playoff? Or do you think they're going to stumble at some point? Yeah, it's, I feel like talking of the playoff is, is a lot more appropriate now. You know, a lot of people want to get, you know, get into that discussion way too early, but since we're around the mid, the midway point and, you know, Oregon's starting to get some of these big games on their schedule checked off, I think it's given us some more clarity I do think that they can run the table, you know, through the the rest of the rest of the year. But at the same time that I say that, so, you know, it's, I feel like they're definitely capable of it. You know, that's kind of what I think one of the big takeaways from this UCLA victory was, but some of these games that they have in the later, the latter portion of the season, um, they look a lot different now than, than they did. I think heading into this uh, season, you know, games against Oregon state, even though the Ducks lost to them last year, I don't, I don't think many people saw them being this good of a team uh, before the season started. And look at them now, you know, that's just part of the the fun in college football. You know, anything can happen and people can, you know, turn things around a lot faster than you think. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer. So I don't know how I feel about the playoff. I mean, if, if Oregon's going to get to the playoff, they have to, you know, destroy the rest of these opponents i don't think it's going to be enough for them to just keep inching by uh kind of like they have you know if you look if they they could win every game on the rest of their schedule but if they do it like they did against cal there's i'd say little to no chance that oregon's gonna find themselves in the playoffs because you you know how much you have to impress to get into the college football playoff and the way they've been winning just in my opinion isn't going to get it done so Getting over this UCLA game is huge. Even though Washington's having an awful season, they do have to go on the road to Seattle, and that's going to be big. And they also have to go on the road to Utah, um, to Salt Lake, when they play the Utes. And uh, I think that's a game that uh, looks pretty intriguing, the way that Cameron Rising has that uh, that Utes offense going. And I know Whittingham always coaches his guys up. So that was a pretty long answer, but I hope that answered your question or at least started to. Yeah, no, that was good. Uh, I personally don't think Oregon's going to run the table uh, for what it's worth. I think a potential three-game stretch of playing at Utah and then home against the Beavers and then the next week playing on a Friday night in a potential Pac-12 championship game, I think that's a brutal three-game stretch to go undefeated. And if they did do that and they had one loss and was was hypothetically a Pac-12 champion, uh, I think they would make the playoff even if they were uh winning games closely i think those opponents are good enough to where you know if you're a one loss conference champion uh you beat ohio state on the road in columbus uh you know they're probably gonna need some help of some sort you know there are still a lot of undefeated big 10 teams you got uh, michigan michigan state ohio state has that one loss uh you of course have cincinnati's undefeated who who could have a shot at the playoff Oklahoma is still undefeated, even though they almost lost to Kansas this past week. And then, of course, you've still got, you know, Georgia and Alabama there uh, in the SEC who, you know, both of them could get in if things go the right way. So 
there's still a lot of dominoes that need to fall, of course. But, you know, a week from tomorrow or a week from Tuesday um, is the first playoff ranking. So that'll be really interesting to see, uh, you know, where they put the Ducks, especially uh, where they put the Ducks in conjunction with where they put Ohio State, because, of course, the head-to-head is is there. Uh, but for now, Ohio State's ahead of Oregon, which I find kind of insane considering uh, Ohio State hasn't really played anyone since Oregon and Oregon beat them. So uh, we'll see how, how it all shakes out. But uh, I think if the Ducks were to, were to uh, end the season with one loss and had a Pac-12 championship under their belt, they would be looking pretty for the playoff for the most part. I'd say, you know, to, to reference what you were saying about, uh, you know, Ohio State maybe having the, the better shot right now or it was looking like they might be ranked higher, I think. Is, is that kind of what you were getting at or what you thought? Yeah, well, they're, they're ranked higher right now in the AP poll is what I'm saying. But I'm, okay. I'm just interested to see and uh, see what the uh, the playoff committee uh, will will do with that uh, because their first rankings come out a week from Tuesday. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for me – just, you know, off the top, when I think about why that reasoning might be, Ohio State may not have the best, you know, uh, resume as far as the opponents that they play, but you look at these scores, man, they are just demolishing people. You know, after that loss to Oregon, that was week two pretty early. You got scores of 41 to 20, 59 to 7, 52 to 13, 66 to 17, 54 to 7. So, you know, they're they're really handling business like I think they were expected to. And, you know, should with the talent that they have. C.J. Stroud's really turned things around since that, you know, dud of a game against Oregon. But you talk about them not playing very many people. I think things are going to shift around a little bit here with their playing Penn State this upcoming week. That's going to be really big. They have that game at home in the shoe. And then Michigan State and Michigan, those are two teams that I believe are in the top 10 right now. Michigan State hasn't looked as good in who knows how long. You know, maybe since they went to the playoffs, I, I think uh, no one was really expecting them to be this great under Mel Tucker um undefeated right now so it's it's a it's a pivotal time pivotal stretch that we're that we're entering right now with the uh 2021 season uh you know things get crazy man i i'm i'm here for all of it but um yeah we're we're approaching 45 minutes here nick uh so let's just see is there we're talking about some big picture stuff any kind of final remarks on on Oregon right now and how they're doing the UCLA game, college football as a whole, you know, throw it at me. Yeah. Well, just a final thought. Uh, it was really great to see Oregon play a really good football game. You know, we haven't seen them play. I feel like a, a good uh, complete football game since Ohio state. And you're kind of wondering there for a little bit, if they had it in them and they clearly still do, they rise up to whoever they're playing and, uh, last week was a big spotlight with college game day there and uh, they performed. So I would just really like to see them going forward, perform that way every week, uh, because if they do that, they're going to be really tough out for anyone in the conference. And um, yeah, it was just really, really great to see them them play a, a pretty complete game for the most part. I'm right there with you on that one, Nick. We know that this Oregon team can play up to their competition. They've done it twice now. Uh, you know, you want to talk about Ohio State, UCLA games. Now the question becomes, can they stop playing down to their competition? Welcoming in a Colorado team this week that is not having a good season. Uh, Colorado is absolutely outmatched on paper compared to the Oregon roster. So, you know, they're going to open as as pretty heavy favorites. But to talk, that kind of ties into what you were saying, you know, with, with them playing those full games and, and still showing up. That kind of reminds me of what, our Dylan Mickenin wrote, uh, you know, his column recently about this game, Oregon's win over UCLA shows that they can still be elite. And obviously with only one loss on their record, I think that, you know, everything's kind of still ahead of them. They do need some, I think, dominoes to fall in their favor if they are able to, you know, run the table. But I mean, I still feel like I don't have the most confidence in this team. I could, I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, slipped up in, in one of the games remaining here. So it's going to take everything they have. I think to uh, to win out and, and run the table here, but um, overall, you know that game in Pasadena certainly is a, a good sign of the things to come for this team. I believe for sure, and I think we'll we can end where we started uh, with Kevon Thibodeau. You know, I, if he continues to play the rest of the season and, and is available and plays uh, the way he played in the second half against Cal and against UCLA, 
um, it, it's, you know, Oregon's going to have a great chance to win just because he's that big of a player. Uh, you know, when, when the game's on the line, he's uh, always playing his best. So uh, hopefully he can stay healthy and continue to play the rest of the season because it really is just a treat to watch him play football uh, for the Ducks for another, you know, half a season. Right on, man. Well, KT's a dominant force, so we're going to have to see how, how he can what, – what other amazing performances he has in store uh, this year, you know, looking like uh, – I mean, should we go as far as saying a slam dunk number one pick? Who knows? Uh, you know, since he's only played a little bit this year, um, maybe people want to see a little bit more of a body of work. But, I mean, when he does play, he's just been phenomenal. So um, we're going to be uh, covering that Colorado game as well and have a bunch of preview content coming out uh, over at DucksDigest.com on that game. Uh, but, Nick, where where can people find more of you? You can find me on Twitter at NickBat22. That's N-I-C-K-B-A-T-22 on Twitter. And, of course, you can read my content on Ducks Digest. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at mtorsports, running the show for uh, ducksdigest.com. Head on over there to see our stories. we got new stuff coming out every day. Um, also head over to the YouTube channel, Oregon Football Max Taurus. Uh, that's been growing really nicely and I uh, really appreciate the support over there. And then uh, make sure to like and follow us on the various social media platforms too, posting a lot of great photos and content on Ducks Digest Twitter. So all our all our usernames are just Ducks Digests on uh Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. But that'll do it for this episode, the inaugural episode of the, not the inaugural, but the very first episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.